0: didn't have any instructions written out for us, did <laughs> you? should have. I'm Clara, and I'm an alcoholic. Oh, I love that. I mean, you know, I just I just do. I need to move this. Should be an Al-Anon, shouldn't I? <laughs> Get up here and arrange this so I can be comfortable. I want to thank the committee for asking me and and, and uh, for asking me to uh, bring along this wonderful man that I'm married to for 53 years, and that's my husband, Carl. Hey! It's,
1: hey!
0: it's absolutely wonderful to be asked back. You know, I've heard speakers say that time and time again, and, and I always thought, wouldn't that be wonderful? And it happened, you know, and, and uh, I... and. Uh, I won't tell you what. Yeah, I will. I'll tell you what Carl told me. I said, "Isn't that wonderful?" What uh, you know? What uh they, they asked me to come for? I've I've been there. You know, I think that is wonderful to ask me to come back. And he said, "Oh, honey, you're close and you're cheap."
1: <laughs> you know. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah.
0: Thank you for the laughter, but that was a truth. That that true story, true story. You'll hear well. Some of them you'll hear that's maybe not. He'll he'll say it's not true, but the way I perceived it, it's a true story. And that was and that's exactly what he said. Um, I stand here today with one of the heaviest hearts I've had in a long, long time, and I want to get this out of the way before I go on. I've, um, I have it. I sponsor, I sponsor a lot of women. Ah, oh, God, it's wonderful. They're my lifeline. They're the reason I stand here. They make me walk while I talk. And this yesterday, I left a lady that I sponsored uh, now for about five years. Off and on, she's been sober maybe a month, maybe two years, maybe a year. Yesterday, I left her at the hospital a week ago last tuesday she um she was drinking and they uh, you know when she called me and she wanted to she wanted to come back and she needed some help and so i was i had some appointments and couldn't get her and so it, i had a girl come and and um, pick her up and and so wednesday morning we had another lady of our a friend of ours who was very ill and, and she was dying and uh, I called, to, and Janet was in the hospital, and she's a heck of a 12-step. And she's rough, and she's tough, and she's just wonderful with new people. And so I called her, and I said, Janet, do you feel like taking a 12-step call? And she said, oh, hell yes." Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so I, you know, I had Rosemary take her to see Janet on Wednesday. We could go Wednesday. And Janet 12-stepped this lady and she said to, to, to Lee, she said, um, you come and go along with me and we're gonna, and we'll work this program together. This last Wednesday, Lee was, she works at the IU Med Center. She was going to work at 7 o'clock in the morning. She pulled up to, to the stoplight just to pull, pull into the parking garage. And, and she, she had an aneurysm, a seizure or something. and she had enough sense that she knew it was coming on, and, and she turned the keys, turned the key of the, you know, off of the car, and and sat there. And and by the time they found her, she was her hands were frozen to the wheel, and uh, she'd been without oxygen a long, long time. So yesterday they were meeting with the doctors to decide to turn off the, you know, the life support. Janet said, "Kind of go along with me, and we'll work this program together." And I guess she did. I got the opportunity to give her a hug, and give her a kiss, talk to her boys, who thinks Alcoholics Anonymous is wonderful. Thursday, they they hunted me down at the state fair. Scared to living stuffing out of me when the state police page me, you know. Never dreaming that my one of my babies was in ICU in a coma. You know. I just know that this is a deadly disease. Last night I was in the restroom. And in the next stall was a lady who made a statement. Well, if she wants to drink, Eppa. Let her go on out there and drink. I stand here through God's grace and the miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous and a loving sponsor and a wonderful husband. And I'm going to tell you with 22 and a half years, I can't say that anymore. Oh, I used to. It sounded real good. And it says, you know, in the big book, I know, go out there and try some controlled drinking. But I cannot tell one of my girls going back out there and try it. I can share with them that maybe they're not done. And maybe they're going to have to, you know, have to finish their drunk. But I'm not going to tell them, go on out there and try You know, this this baby of mine, I loved her dearly.
1: It's over. I just, I
0: just had to share that. You know, just be very careful of whose life you're playing with. It's good to be hard and it's good to be tough and it's good to be rough and, oh Lee was a whiner. Oh, she was such a whiner. And you know, and I, I wanted to tell her those things. You know, I walked in here yesterday and I felt so guilty and I talked to Connie about it because I felt so guilty because, you know, she was, I couldn't get her to come to a meeting. Couldn't get her butt in a damn chair. (laughs) But I couldn't. (laughs) And you know, it's, uh, I, I wanted to say those things to her. And I couldn't do that. You know, for some reason I wasn't able, I just, I just loved her. I just kept the door open. So please, if you're out there and you've got these people you're working with, you know, before you open your mouth, you know, put principles before personality and remember that, uh, and carry the message and not the disease, you know. That's my little lecture now. Ooh, I did say I was an alcoholic, didn't I? And I was put, yeah. My name? Yeah, okay. Now I've, I've got to get comfortable and I want to share with you, but, you know, well, Cliff's a school teacher, he might enjoy this, you know. Well, I don't know whether his, Teenagers did this or not, but you know. Um, anyway, they asked uh, these little uh, first graders to write a little net essay of, of what they wanted to be when they grow uh, grow up. And there was, uh, you know, this one little guy. He, he wrote this little note, and it said, "My name is Sam, and when I grow up to to be a man, I want to go to Japan." Well, there was this little girl over here, and her name was Sadie, and she stood up and she said, "My name is Sadie." And when I grow up to be a lady, I want to have babies and babies and babies. Well, there was this little rebel in the back of the room, and he stood up and he said, My name's not Dan, and I don't give a damn about Japan. But when I grow up to be a man, I want to help Sadie with her plan. (laughs) You identify with that too much, okay? (laughs) I'm going to tell you one more before I go on. And this has nothing to do with Alcoholics Anonymous, but maybe it does. There was this secretary and she had an affair with her boss. And, you know, she came in one day and uh, she said to her boss, she said, you know what? She said, I, I think I'm pregnant. And he said, oh, man, because he's married, and he's got to get this lady. He said, you got to get out of town. You know, you we got to do something. you got to get out of the state. We're going to send you out of the country. And uh, so they decided, you know, that they would send her to Germany. She was German, and they were going to send her to Germany. They thought that was a good idea. But they wanted a code so they'd know what the baby was when they, you know, give us some, some kind of a sign. So they decided on sauerkraut. Well, about seven months later, something like that, eight, here come a telegram to the house. And his wife calls her up, calls him up and she said, honey, I got the strangest, uh, telegram today. And she said, he said, what, what was it? Read it to me. He said, sauerkraut, sauerkraut, sauerkraut.
1: Two
0: <laughs> with wieners. One without. <laughs> I just love you. Thank you for, thank you for enjoying those little it was penny ante poker and it was weekend parties and it was booze and it, you know, drinking was, was, was normal for my family and, uh, they would ice down the booze and they would get out the cars and they'd start playing poker. And you know, out the, they would have a good time. Something strange would happen. Their attitude would change and before the night was out, they're raising hell and they're cussing and, and, and they're slamming do- doors and they're saying, God, I'll never speak to you again. I'll never come back. I'm never gonna come back. I'll never speak to you again. And you know, they'd come back the very next week and they'd do the very same thing over and over and over. And oh, God, I, I used to pray, God, I don't want to grow up to be like them. Now I grew up to be just like them. Penny any poker, weekend parties, and boots. And you know, the thing was, uh, you know, that, uh, I can't tell you my father was an alcoholic, but I can tell you he was a real sick man. Because on June the 25th of 1975, he put a gun in his mouth and blew his head off. That bought me a lot of drugs. I'm one of three kids. I'm the oldest. I have a sister and a brother, and, and I got a brother that's in the program. And I have a sister that's on Thorazine, and she's just nuts. You know, she just shuffles right along. I swear, I swear it's the truth. True story. <laughs> I, I said, Lily, you, they gave me those when I was in the psych ward. She said, don't you say anything about those. I need those for my nerves. Okay. All right. So we don't discuss that. <laughs> I, um, my mom, Absolutely, was absolutely the most wonderful person in the world. And I always, you know, that took a long time getting there. Because, see, I didn't want to grow up to be like her either. She controlled the family, she controlled the checkbook, and she controlled my father. And the day came, you know, uh, in 1997, we had the opportunity to bury my mother and... and, um, she, she, had, uh, had Alzheimer's and for the last three years, you know, from, from 90, uh, 94 to 97, Carl, I, Carl was there and, and, uh, I don't know what I'd have done without him. I don't know what I'd have done without the program and Alcoholics Anonymous. Because I think Alzheimer's is absolutely the most hideous disease there is. It just takes, absolutely takes that person completely away from you. And it's terrible to watch, but they're funny, funny little people. And I was in the, I was visiting mom one day and, and Carl and I were, and I wanted we were going to leave. And, and they wouldn't let me out. You know, I mean, they said, we're, they're behind locked doors and I kept saying, no, 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 I'm not one of them. <laughs> <laughs> That worried me for a minute, you know. But <laughs> they are. They're funny, funny little people. Loved them there. it was an opportunity that I had to be able to practice those principles before personality. <laughs> because I was able to, you know, through God's grace and working the steps and doing the things that I was supposed to do and, and through the inventories I was able to make amends and, and my way of making amends was to be the best daughter I could be. My sponsor told me to show up at, suit up and show up and be the best daughter I could be. And I did that. I stand here today to tell you that I did that. And I did that (laughs) only through the program. Well, and, uh, you know, that's my family, and that's where I came from. And in 1947, I was standing on... I never took any friends home. And I... uh, I was standing on the circle one night, and um, along came this soldier, and he was tall and redheaded, and he had freckles all over his body, and I found that out later, and, and you know, well, I did. He still has them, but they're a little faded, and, you know, and uh, so, <laughs> I'm sorry, Carl.
1: <laughs> um,
0: it, in <it>, any way, <laughs> He doesn't have any rebuttal today. That's so sorry. <laughs> it's always gonna. It's gonna be like what Claire says. <laughs> but anyway, uh, we he um, introduced himself to me, and 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 uh, I was a pickup. My date had uh, didn't show up, so he picked me up, and we walked to the bus. This tells my age, but we walked to the bus, and he got my telephone number and. Uh, you know, uh, we started dating and, and in December we were, that was in October. In December we were, uh, engaged and February 1st of 1947 we were married. And you know, he took, you know, it, oh, he was wonderful. And here, and he introduced me, he was a Mormon. You know, that's strange. My family was drunks and his family was Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> makes for, Strange bed partners, and you know, so we um, we started on a journey that's been absolutely one of the greatest things uh, that's ever happened to us. I didn't think so sometimes, but I hope maybe I can share with you now what uh, you know what uh, AA done for me. I mean, you know what alcohol did to me and what AA's done for me. We started on that journey by Carl taking me out west. I had joined this church because his mother wrote a letter and said, I wished you'd marry one of your own kind. And so I decided I'll show him. Didn't know anything about it, but I'll show him. I'll join. I did. And then we went out west. And I met this wonderful family of nine boys and one girl. And uh, this wonderful father and mother that just, they had prayer. They didn't fight. You know, they had family dinners. They didn't have picnics that chase you around with, you know, and have fights and ball bats and wait for you around the corner and I'll get you for nights out or something like that. I swear. Absolutely swear. There was a time that my father and my two uncles waited for for one of the people to come down the road, they're waiting for him, and they're standing there with ball bats in their hands. So my family, you know, put a drink in him, and they couldn't guarantee their actions. So I'm, I'm a real alcoholic, you know. I don't know if it's hereditary or not, and I don't care. I just know that it, it seems to be for me, for me, you know, for me. My brother, you know, Dash he gave me permission to share this story you know he he uh, he's in the program and and uh, he went around i went around trying to get him sober trying to keep him sober and he got sober in spite of me you know he didn't have the right sponsor he didn't go to enough meetings he didn't uh, he didn't go to any meetings and uh, there was a day that he turned 4 years in the program and he got so sick and tired of listening to people like me and he said, you know, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I'm, you know, I'm, I don't, I'm tired of listening to, to get people get up there and talk about Alcoholics Anonymous. I'm tired of, you know, of people talking about this damn book, quote. I'm tired. I'm tired, you know, of going to these damn meetings. And so he quit. He took a leave of absence. Now I'm here to tell you that it, alcohol is cunning, baffling, and powerful, and it's patient. And it'll wait on you. He turned seven years dry, and at seven years without a drink, you know, he decided he got irritable, cross, and discontent, and he picked up a drink. He ended up in, in jail. He ended up getting arrested. He ended up getting a DWI, and and he lost his home. He lost his family, and he lost his job, and 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 he lost his you know he lost his sobriety. And he had to borrow the money from his 80-year-old mother to get out of jail. And I said, Richard, you don't drink well. And he told me where to go. You go to hell. Because then he, he said, you think you're Mrs. AA. And you know, the thing was, that he's back. He um, He still don't go to meetings. That's okay. He still doesn't have a sponsor. That's okay. He lives one block from one of the best meetings in Bardstown, Kentucky there is, and that's okay. You know, it's cunning, baffling, powerful, and it'll wait on him. I um when Carl took me out west and I met this wonderful family, you know, I didn't uh I didn't know uh anything about uh Anything about the West? I didn't. I had never been out of the state of Indiana, never. And so I was at all with this, and and I and I, you know, I had this family back there. I wanted to get away from. Well, I started missing them, and I got so homesick. And I was 17, and and so Carl took me back to Indiana here, and and uh, he adopted my family's lifestyle. He got he cut the apron strings from. From that, that good Mormon family of his, and, uh, he's, he joined the moose, and, uh, he, uh, we taught him how to drink. Well, he you know, we poked Penny poker, weekend parties, and booze, and, uh, we taught him well. The only thing was that you would, you, do, you would like to, well, the guys, you'd probably like to drink with him because he don't, he just never had it in him to hang in there, that's all. I mean, he don't like getting sick, he just don't when we'd go to we'd go to the moose on Saturday Friday and Saturday night, we'd have everybody buy a round. and in front of Carl instead of drinking them, they'd just sit there you know i mean you know they just beer after beer after beer. But if I could get him to drink a highball, then they it, that seemed to change just a little bit, and I could stay just a little longer and I was never a sipper, I know that. I know, today, I, you know, when I had a, you know, there, the lady would bring a drink and I'd, I'd say, Carl, uh, can, you know, could you give me another drink? He'd say, well hell, she's not even back to the bar yet. <laughs> it went down just like water. Just like water. And I know it would today. I know it would today. So I know today that, you know, I don't like a cup that's, uh, that's half empty. And I don't like a glass of iced tea. If I can see through that iced tea, it's not strong enough. So I, you know, those are those little things that, you know, that Clarice had to work on with little character defects of mine. Anyway, Carl brought me back to Indiana and uh, we started having these wonderful children and I had a little girl, Kathy, and 11 months later I had Mike and five years later we had Chuck and that's our family. And then you know we went, uh, we we got real busy with our family for a little while. For a little while, you know, um, in when we were going to the Moose, we used to leave him with the babysitters. And you know we were gone all the time. We were just gone every weekend after weekend after weekend. And you know, it didn't matter. It didn't matter where it was at or what was going on. As I said, Carl had adopted my family's lifestyle and the penny any poker and the weekend parties and booze. And we traveled a great deal. And you know, the thing happened was that um, man—he was—he became a stepper, and he was the bartender. And oh, I loved it. I just loved it because then he mixed the drinks the way that I wanted them. And uh, you know, I'd say, Carl, there's not enough booze in this. Would you put another shot in it? And he did for a while. For a while. The kids started growing up, and and uh, Kathy, uh, you know. Kathy, Carl got felt guilty about the kids not going to church. So he decided he was going to, we'd take them. One of us would take them and one of us bring them home. (laughs) Because we were hung over from the night before. I mean, we couldn't, you know, we just couldn't do it. And it was working out pretty good until this nine-year-old of ours came home one day and she was supposed to bring her friend home with her and she didn't. And her dad asked her, you know, Kathy, why didn't you bring your girlfriend home with you? And she said, because I'm ashamed of you. You know, out of the mouths of babes. And she told us the truth. She told us that we were doing the very things that he had been taught not to do. And we were. And this never ceases to amaze me. You know, I made a decision. Carl asked, said maybe we ought to get active with our children. This never ceases to amaze me. I made a decision just like that. To stop drinking. To put the cigarettes down, I stopped smoking, I stopped drinking, and and I got active in my children's uh, recovery. I got active with my children in school. I got active with our children at church. We got active with our children in Little League and PTA, and and it was wonderful. And our children grew up, and for 15 or 16 years, I never had another drink in my home. For I never had another drink. 15 or 16 years. But the day that I picked up a drink, I could not put it down. I could not
1: put it down.
0: The kids grew up, and, and Kathy went off to Utah State, and Mike went on a mission to New Zealand, and Chuck went on a mission to Los Angeles for the church, and and that left two people, twenty-five years uh, married, and we didn't know how to we didn't know how to talk to each other. We didn't know what to do, you know. And I was absolutely lost. And I had the opportunity to go to go to work at Kiefer Stewart, wholesale drug and liquor, on the liquor order desk. Now, I didn't know I was an alcoholic ready to happen, but I know one thing. I liked what I saw, and I liked where I was at. It was exciting in there. You know, because, see, this little, this little gal had... Did any of you, maybe the ladies will identify with this. I don't know about you men, but did you ever want to be good and bad at the same time? Well over here, I was this good little Mormon wife that didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't use God's name in vain. And over here, at that office, I mean, we worked with the reps and we went out and we had office parties and, and, uh, you know, I wanted to be out there dancing on the tables with them. I mean, that looked exciting, you know, and, and I had an image to portray. And I had a, I had a, when I was in treatment, I had this wonderful man that used to tell me, Butch used to tell me that bottles will talk to you. Oh gosh, I'm here to, I swear to God they'll talk to you. And I'm sitting in this office and I'm selling booze and, and we, we were, you know, we prom, promote, we, every week we would promote a bottle. And, uh, you know, for the most you'd sell for the week, I mean, you got a bottle. And I was good on those phones. I did a lot of promotion. I sold a lot of booze. And, and so I'd bring the booze home and Carl would give it away and we just absolutely helped Dick right into this program. He loved us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, <laughs> he did. So then, uh, but there was, I started getting uncomfortable. I started feeling like that maybe there, you know, there was, I was missing out on something and, uh, I was really getting irritable, crossed and discontent is what it was. What happened was that, you know, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to drink. And I didn't, I got resentful because this man was given something away that I wanted to try. I'd go to church and I didn't want to be there. I didn't want to be this man's wife. And I'd sit in church and I'd sit there in those pews and I'd think there'd be someone up there speaking. Probably some of you are thinking the same thing that I, that, that I thought then. Oh, God, I wish they'd shut up. I got to get out of here. Well, I'll tell you, the thing was that, you know, I didn't know what was happening to me. I knew God was going to strike me dead. Because I'd never felt that way before. I would loved it. I loved going. I loved doing what I was supposed to be doing. You know, I always, but I always felt like that, you know, I, I, I didn't fit as well as Carl. You know, Carl could always accept, and I questioned, and I do that today. I never felt as good as. Carl was always up here and I was down here. Just never could balance the scales. And so when, you know, I didn't want to be this man's wife. Just didn't want to be at home. You know, I didn't, uh, I didn't want to be those kids mom. I'd get these letters from overseas and, you know, from my son who was on a mission and, and I wouldn't even open those letters. I wouldn't answer my daughter's letters from college. I wouldn't write my son that was in Los Angeles. And I did not know what was happening to me. The day came, they come out with this new drink called uh, cold duck. Our 25th anniversary is coming up. And one somebody said up there at uh, Kiefer Stewart, they said, you know, boy, well, it's a shame you can't taste this. This is a neat drink. And, oh, God, I wanted to taste that in the worst way. So I had an idea, if we can get, if I can get Carl to go away on a getaway weekend, you know, where, you know one of those weekends that they give you a drink, a, a, a bottle, and you know, and we went this side of Louisville at, at, at the Marriott at that time, I think it's Holiday Inn now, but at the Marriott, and um, it took one bottle of cold I'll tell you what, we you know, the bishop wasn't gonna know and uh, the kids wouldn't know, my mom wouldn't know, and I ain't tell her. And you know, we went with one bottle of cold duck and I had cold duck all weekend. He didn't say a thing about me drinking. In fact he helped me ice this one bottle down in the craft and, and, and then we opened it up, had a drink and went to dinner. Now, I had cold up all weekend, and he never said a word. Now, I'd like to share with you one thing, and, I, and listen to me very carefully. This man liked me dr- drunk, you know, just a little bit, just a little bit drunk. See, when well, you know, I was real easy when I was a little bit drunk. And he liked that. What? Carol identifies with that. (laughs) But I'll tell you, this thing happened. There came a day that Carl Kay said to me, you make me get the hell out of my life. You make me sick at my stomach. Because I thought when I put a drink in me that I was the sexiest thing going. You know, it sure changed me. (laughs) Anyway, you know that uh, I was going to have to quit that job because you know my job was going to be terminated or I was going to be fired and uh, because I couldn't show up anymore. I started uh, I you know I started uh, bringing home um, bottles and I'd hide them. I'd bring home little half pints because after when we got ready to leave the the parking lot of the hotel, I want to tell you this first. We we got ready to leave and Carl said to me, You know, we haven't had a drink in our home for a long time. Let's don't take it home with us. And I agreed to that. I agreed to that. I'm going to tell you that I never had a drink in my hand at all times, but from that day forward, I never had a drink out of my mind because I had found something that closed that hole in the belly with the wind blowing through it. You know, that was talked about last night. I know, I had went around for years with, with my hole in my gut that I didn't understand and I couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. I, you know, I'm, I was never was like that puzzle of that little boy. I never could put me together. Just never fit until I got here. Until I got here and wanted to stay here. And you know, the thing that happened to me was that, that I, um, you know, I, I, as I said, I was going to have to quit or my job was going to be terminated because I started buying booze and I was taking it home and I was buying little half pints and I ended up with gallons. And by the time I started bringing gallons home, Carl had, a, he had a problem and it was me. And that's God's truth. I used to, you know, I started out with little half pints, Canadian club. Why don't I buy what I like? You know, I remember back when, 25 years ago, I like Canadian Club and ginger ale. Why don't I buy what I like? So I'd take it home and I'd hide it. I um, I quit that job, but I started my own business. Every drunk starts their own business. No, you know, drunk or sober, we alcoholics start our own business. Good or bad, you know, and I started Nan's babysitting service, and I I did a good job there for a while. I babysitted for people that went out of state and out of country, and, and they left the most precious possession with me, their nanny. And their nanny was a drunk and a lush. They had these wonderful bars. They had it stocked with everything. And these wonderful homes, and you know, and I would, I would sit there with a cigarette in my hand and this drink in this goblet, you know, and I would think that this is where I'm supposed to be, not over on Vernon Street, living with this man that works in a warehouse, you know, and wears a blue shirt. No, I didn't want to be that man's wife, and you know this. The, the people would give me uh, uh, the keys to the house, the keys to the car, the keys to the check. I mean, you know, a check. I just—it was wonderful. It was wonderful. And if I if I didn't see what I'd like to drink, or if I ran out, you go to the garage. They bought it by the case. What a wonderful job! Until I started getting drunk. And then Carl had to stay all night because Nanny was drunk.
1: <laughs>
0: he didn't say anything the first or second time. He'd come out to visit us and, you know, maybe he'd say, Honey, don't you think you're drinking a little too I said, These kids got on my nerves, man, they're driving me nuts. <laughs> they they released they you know, they told the maid not to come back and tell you gonna let me clean this big house, you know? I had to have a drink. I had you know I had all these reasons why I had to have a drink. And for a little while, he didn't say anything. Then he had to start coming home in the mornings because Nanny was drunk. And I would never got those babies out of bed. Never got those children off to school. Then there came the day that i have come to, and that's all it was. I came to out of a blackout, and there was the fire department. And it seemed that Nanny had decided to um, clean the oven, and you know, it um, evidently I broke the handle off, and it cleaned, it heated and heated and heated, and I could have burnt the house down. I have no idea if I called the fire department or if one of the children or some what happened. I just know they were there, and I knew I was in a lot of trouble. And, you know, he started raising hell about my drinking. I wished I could stand here and tell you nice things, nice words. I can't. This is the way it was. And I want to share with you, my sponsor tells me, you know, not to cheat you. You know, I I can't get up here and tell you that Carl Case said, Oh, honey, I wish you wouldn't do that. That is not what he said. (laughs) I took a very gentle, very kind, very loving man and turned him into a monster. Turned that man into a monster. But there came a day that you know, after him raising hell with my drinking, he, you know, he, um, I called him up in CR and I said, Carl, if you want these kids taken care of, you come home and take care of them. I'm leaving, and I did. I left those children there, and, and when those people came home from the Philippines, Nanny was gone, and Carl was there. And I've had a lot of amends I've had to make. I know I didn't abuse those children. Well, no, I don't. I can't say that. I, I hope I didn't abuse those children physically, but I know I meant I know I abused those children mentally. And I had a lot of a lot of amends to make in those in those places. He would fight to keep me sober, and I would fight to drink. And one of the best, and you know, he never, he never, you know, we had to make sure that the image, he kept the image up. He had to make sure that the bishop didn't know. He had to make sure that no one dropped in. I never answered the phone. I never, he, he took all the calls when he was there because he didn't want anybody to know he had to, anything, you know, about my drinking for a long time. For a long time, my family did not know I drank. They didn't know what was wrong with me. They thought I was crazy, and that was okay. I I wanted to be crazy. See, because when I went to my first treatment center, you know, tell my family I had a nervous breakdown. Be you know, being an alcoholic, I had to be responsible for my actions, but being crazy, I didn't have to. You know, they accept that. But you know, the thing was that this this man um,
1: this man did everything he could to hide me. And he couldn't do it. He just couldn't do it. Alcohol at its finest in the case household. And I don't, uh, um, I stand here today, you know, I
0: don't tell you these things because I'm, I'm proud of them. I tell you these things because they're facts. Alcoholism at its finest in the case household. On October the 31st of 1976, I was raped, and I was on a babysitting job, and it seemed that day that I was drunk the day before, and I was drunk afterwards, but I just hadn't started drinking when this happened. And I had this little guy in me, and then, you know, in that house, and this man came and, and it seemed that, you know, he was able to get my attention by slamming Sam against the wall. And when I ended up at the hospital and they called Carl home, when they called him home, he didn't come to the hospital and put his arms around me and love me and hold me and say, Honey, I'm so sorry that's happened to you. He said, Clara, what the hell have you done now? What have you done now? See, The day before, he had a drunk and a lush club. I couldn't stop drinking. I couldn't wash away the guilt. I couldn't wash away the shame. I I couldn't wash away the nightmares, and that that drinking would would help to just put it away. It it, would—I could just drink enough to put me away. And finally, Carl said, "Cunning, you got to do something about your drinking." And I, you know, and Carl had a brother, Art, who had joined Alcoholics Anonymous back in the '60s. And let me tell you, when we found out about this, we were absolutely devastated. Cause we had a, you know, at that point in time, I was real active in the church. And I did not want anyone to know that I had a brother-in-law that was a drunk and was in Alcoholics Anonymous. See, by this time, I had disowned my own family. I didn't go to any of the functions. I didn't talk to them. I didn't go around, you know, because they were, they were drunks. I had, I had nothing to do with them. That, you know, uh so this is um this man lost his home and lost his family and lost his, his his uh job and lost his life. He put the hose in his truck between Vernal, Utah and Salt Lake City and that's where they found him. We never walked inside of an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. We never walked inside of an Al Anon meeting. All we did was shove it under the rug. And not one person talked about art. Not one of us. I never want to forget that. Because he joined, he was a drunk, and he joined something called Alcoholics Anonymous. You see, if he'd have paid his tithing, he'd went to church the way I did. If he'd have went to church the way his father and mother and his brothers did, he wouldn't have picked up a drink in the first place. That's what they think. And that's not true. This is a disease. And Art had a disease. And he died. And he died. But he carried the message to me. The only thing we knew about Alcoholics Anonymous was through art. And so Carl went and called you know, I said, If you want me to go to get some help, you call. I'm leaving. I'm a runner, I'm gonna leave. And he said, Please, would you go? And I said, Okay, if you'll call. So he called out, uh, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous and he got a hold of a beautiful lady that, that did all the calling. You know, it doesn't happen that way today. If You got, you call down a central office and they'll, they'll ask you to have the drunk call, you know, if they want help, have them call. I didn't do any of that. Carl called and he talked to, he talked to this beautiful lady and, and you know, she found out where there's a place for me to go and there was two places. One of them was Fairbanks Hospital in Indianapolis, and the other was Batesville, Indiana. Batesville, Indiana, and that's where I met Carol. You know, Carol H. and I have you know, known each other for a long, long time. I went there, and, you know, (laughs) I begged for a drink all the way down there, and he wouldn't give me one. You know, he said, "No, they're going to teach you how not to drink. You know, they put me in those green pajamas, and, and I loved it. And they talked about uh, the twelve steps, and they talked about uh, you know uh, the twelve traditions, and oh, they had, you know, it was wonderful, you know. And they let me make the coffee and clean up the kitchen, and oh, I was just a busy little bee, you know. Didn't pay attention to a thing. You know, I stayed there fourteen days, and and I left there, and um, the only thing was that the, the one thing they did tell me was that you go home and you get a sponsor. And you go to meetings, you go to meetings, and you go to meetings. Ninety meetings in ninety days. Okay, I'm going to do that. All right, you know, I started, um, got home, and, and uh, December, I, you know, well, Carl put me on December the 9th, 1976. December the 23rd, I walked out of there, and I'm going to put my life together. And I went to a meeting and I found a lady, their name was Hope, and she had five years of sobriety and I thought she'd been sober forever and I I asked her to be my sponsor and I grew to hate that lady. The only thing that she could say was, don't drink, go to meetings and read the big book. And you know, oh God, that was just up to here. I'm 47 years old, I don't need anybody, to tell me what to do. You know, and I started going to meetings. That first month of sobriety, boy, it was it was really neat, man. I was going to meet. I was busy. Well, then my anniversary rolled around, our wedding anniversary, and we. uh, uh, I was going to be 29 years sober, uh, 29 years sober, 29 years married, and nobody celebrated it, so I did. When Carl came in he found uh, this lady passed out on the couch and when i came to i tried to to tell him i had the flu now you know you ladies i, I mean you men i don't know how you, you whether you pass out very sexy or not we ladies don't i'm sprawled out all over the couch and i'm i'm still in my gown and that i started out with in the morning and, and um you know and i'm when i come to and in on the kitchen table was a half bottle of champagne Oh, I grew to love wine and champagne because it got me right there and it took me places that um, I don't want to ever go back to. Needless to say that nobody has the right to tell me to go to hell because, see, I went there in a handbag. In 1977, everything that, that she told me came true. Everything that happened you know, what happened to me came true. Every, you didn't lie to me. I stand here, you know, it's not, it's so important to be able to carry the right message today because I, I feel I'm carrying it for me and for them. It's a deadly disease and it's a killer. And I uh you know, I played around with this thing for a long time. The end of Feb this was in February first and I picked that drink. I only had about a month's sobriety. You know, or a month dry. And I didn't tell my sponsor about that. I didn't think it was necessary to tell you about that tell her about that drink. So I kept going and I kept going and I kept going and And uh, there was a meeting in Indianapolis called the Sunday Brunch Meeting. And maybe some of you have attended that meeting. It's one of the biggest meetings in Indianapolis. And it was exclusive, a meeting that all the old-timers went to, and it was the biggest meeting in town. And if you chaired that meeting, I thought you'd really be somebody. And I asked Hope if I could chair that meeting, and she said, No, I'll tell you when you can chair a meeting. Now remember I said, you know, I'm 47 and I think I know a little bit. i got three kids. i got some grandkids and she's trying to tell me what to do, you know. So I shared that meeting for the month. And I'm drinking. I got by the first week, but the second week came and, and, and hope come along. She came up those steps at the Carvel Club and she walked in and she said, I'm taking over. And I said, you're what? And she said, I'm taking over. She said, Clara, you've been drinking and you have to earn the right to stand up there. Well, of course, I told her to go to hell and I walked out and I drank at her for quite a few months. She bought me a lot of drugs. She could become one of my best friends. She did not become my sponsor, but one of my best friends. And I had told her, oh, so many lies. Because at the end of February, you know, I I had, uh, I was drunk and I had this uh, glass in my hand and I broke it and I cut my wrist because I'm going to die because I'm living with this man. And uh, he walks by the bathroom and says, why in the hell didn't you cut your throat? You can probably save your life now, you know. Well, it took three operations to save this wrist. So, but I didn't tell her that. I told her accidentally. Uh, his shaving mug fell out of the you know, medicine cabinet, and um, and I tried to catch it and and caught it the wrong way and cut my wrist. And she just said, "Okay, be coming back." <laughs> but by April, she dismissed me, and she dismissed me really, you know, very oh, the greatest lesson I've ever learned. To stand, if you stand behind this podium, you have to earn the right to stand here. And that means you go to meetings, you don't drink, you read the big book, you get a sponsor, you're active in recovery, you're active in service, and and I'm active, I do all of those things. And, you know, those are the things I do to stay sober. Those are the reasons that I I can stand back here today and tell you I stand here and, and I've earned the right to stand here. Not because I have a fantastic message, but because I'm active in my own recovery. The, uh, June June came around. And by this time, things are really hot and heavy in our home. And I can't, I just can't stand the pain in Carl and Chuck's eyes anymore. Chuck's home and, and, uh, fell off his mission and he and his dad are fighting like hell. Standing nose to nose screaming to each other, you know, about the fact that they're one of them supposed to watch their mother. Chuck, you, where's your mom? I don't know, dad. You were supposed to watch her. Why didn't you, why didn't you watch what she, you know, stay with her? Why, dad, it's not my fault. And this is the way it would go. I don't want to ever forget that I hear that scream. Dad, it's not my fault. And it wasn't. Chuck didn't cause it, and he can't cure it, and he can't control it. And neither could Carl. They tried with every ounce ounce of breath in them to stop me from drinking. And they could not do that. And I was a runner, and when things would get so hot at my house that i that I couldn't stand it, man, I'd I'd take off and I'd lock myself in a a motel and I'd get my booze and lock myself in there and I'm going to drink the way I want to drink. Um, I work for my money, you know, by gosh. You know, I've heard you men, I've been around the tables enough that I heard this, that, you know, women, the men say, you know, that you've got clothes on your back and, and food on the table and shoes on your feet, you have no right to tell me how to spend my money. Well, dang, I, I identified with that statement. And that's the same statement I said to him. He had no right. It was nobody's business what I drink except mine. I earned that money. And I went out and I, lo- I showed him. I'd lock myself in and then I'd get drunk. And then I'd forget that I had to tell him. I'd have to tell him. And I'd call him time after time after time. And finally he would take the phone off the hook. But I would forget You know, you have to pay for those calls. When you get ready to leave and I get ready to check out of the motel, they wouldn't let me leave. And uh, I'd have to call Carl home so he would bail me out, you know. They were going to throw my butt in jail. And I've never been to jail. Well, he did that one time. The second time, you know, uh, Chuck had to come and get me. Carl refused. Third time, I've seen the Marion County Jail. And I don't jail well, you know. I just don't. I ha- I remember that real well. I I like going and I like carrying the message there, but I like the opportunity that I can come out of there. When I got, um, as I told you, in June, at uh, the um, things were really rough, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to stop drinking, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to die like you know. I didn't want to to uh, die like my dad. So I had this bottle of pills, and it was a whole bottle of Darvon I guess I'd had from my uh, surgery when I had my my arm. And I had Chuck refill that bottle that day, and I took every uh, all 100 of them. There was 100 Darvon. I took 100 Darvon and every other pill I had in the house. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm waking up in this, in the intensive care in the cardiac unit and five doctors have told my husband I won't live through the night. My liver stop, stops functioning and I gain, it was like instant pregnancy. I, uh, you know, ten months I'm just laying there in a big boat. And I have cirrhosis of the liver and, uh, they tell him, I'm, you know, that I'm gonna die I'm not gonna, can't come out of it. He calls my children home and they plan my funeral. And by God's grace, you know, coming out of that coma, you know, the thing that uh, I remember is that when I woke up, I hated me, I hated God, and I still hated Him. But He locked me up in, in the psych because I was crazy, and He knew it. And He put me there, and, and, you know, that was the thing that, uh, I know that, you know, they, uh, it started. That He made, started me thinking, Started me thinking I was going to walk out of there and I was going to kill this SOB. I was going to kill her. I walked out of there sometime in September, and I never stopped drinking from that time on. I walked out of there and um, picked up a drink and ended up San Diego. Ended up, you know, because see, Carl, what what happened was that Carl came home one day and he said, you know, I love you, but I hate everything that booze is doing to you. And from this day forward, I'm either, you know, I'm you can drink or you can die. From this day forward. And you know, the thing that uh, the thing that happened was that I just I knew he said he was going to lock me up in Central State because he thought I was crazy, and he was following through now because he had been introduced to Al-Anon. He had been introduced to a wonderful, wonderful program that saved his life. Al-Anon saved our marriage and at AA saved my life. And Al-Anon saved his sanity. And you know the thing that, uh, I, I took off. I ran. I told you I was a runner and I ran. And I ended up in San Diego. I ended up at the Pickwick Hotel. I ended up, uh, um, you know, on a Greyhound bus took everything I owned. I bankrupt this man, absolutely bankrupting. And you know that uh, um, I ended up on the street to San Diego. I ended up there um, willing to be a prostitute and a whore, willing to do whatever it took to get a drink. And I'd been married for almost 30 years. I had three beautiful children. I had uh, eight beautiful grandchildren. And I had been a lady at one time.
1: The day came,
0: you know, i have been in the backup of that motel room. On the 4th to 6th floor. And I stayed there at the International. I worked hard to get a, a room. It took me a year to get a room. It's one of those motel yeah. motels, you know, at the, at the Greyhound. It's still there. Pickwick Hotel. I just begged for a room so I could stay there. And we did. I showed Carl the prostitutes, you know, and we showed him the skid and I showed him the skid roll and uh, and I was sober. And there was me living, you know, living in the doorway. And there was me with that brown bottle, brown sack, true story. And there was this little man that said, Lady, you don't belong down here. And I ended back up in that room on the sixth floor and I didn't want to drink anymore. I wanted to be sober more than I wanted to be drunk. And the only way, the only way that I could um, think of what to do was to get back to Batesville. Because Butch was there. And Miss Blue was there. And they loved drunks. He had told me I couldn't go back there. I'd used the right to go there, and he would never allow it again. So I shipped my clothes home to him, and I took a a trailway bus, and I went. I left San Diego. It was 78 degrees, and I got in Batesville, Indiana, in 1978. It was 29 below zero, and you know, I stayed at the Sherman House, and I stayed there uh, overnight. And a beautiful maid drove me over, and I started the road to recovery. They thought my liver had, you know, had uh, started acting up, and uh, whew. and they uh, kept me on the hospital side for nine days, and then they took me over to the uh, to Serenity Hall, and they put those green pajamas on me, and and it was, uh, you know, freedom from bondage, absolute freedom from bondage, and you know, it was the most wonderful thing that ever happened to me. And there is where I met, uh, Jane's husband Larry. Larry and I did time together there.
1: <laughs>
0: and we, you know, it's been one of the most wonderful relationships we've ever had. And, uh, he was my best friend. If I could love another man other than my husband, I guess it was Larry. And then Jane allowed me to do that.
1: <laughs> love you, baby.
0: That little girl sitting beside her is Jill, and they came today. And I, and, you know, and she was just a brat. She's so spoiled, but we loved her dearly, and she's grown up and been a wonderful mother. So, but the, you know, I'm, I know I'm running short here, and I'm going to try to close this up. And just, just, I've just got a couple of things to share with you. If you'll give me a few minutes, I am. Um, we used to. Meet, I got to tell you about Carol when Carol was in treatment with us you know she had a habit she had this character defect with a four letter word that we weren't supposed to stay in and it started with F and the only place she was allowed to use it was when she got was on the elevator so we would lock her on the elevator and she would ride the elevator Mm. true story true story (laughs) oh I tell you that was funny But we, um, when I left there, uh, I couldn't go home. I didn't, you know, I couldn't go back home. Carl didn't know what to do with me, and I didn't know what to do with him. And, and so we put a trailer down in Batesville, Indiana, and I stayed there for a year. And I put my life back together. And he allowed that. And I'm so grateful he was going to Alan on and I'm so grateful that he, you know, that he allowed me that time in recovery to be able just to put Clara back together. You know, I, I see girls coming in today and, and they come in and they, they want their homes back. They want their relationship back. They, they're so lonely. I just gotta have man in my life. I can't live without it. You know, and then they get drunk. And I knew, I knew I had to change everything about me. Everything about me. And that's exactly what I did. And I had, you know, I didn't have my children. My children were gone. And you know, the other thing, I don't know whether you ladies or you gentlemen walked back in your home and, you know, and got everything back. I didn't. It took four years before I could walk inside of my daughter's home. Four years. The phone would ring and she'd talk to her father, but she would not talk to me. Four years before I could see my son and those children. They would not allow this drunk to come in their home. I had to earn the right to be a mother again. I had to earn the right to be a grandmother again. I had to earn the right to be this man's wife. I couldn't walk back in and say, I'm home. Give me the keys to the car and the house and the checkbook back and remember who you are and act accordingly. You know? No. And I see that today and it just absolutely it blows my mind. And I... I'm, I'm so grateful I had this loving sponsor that came into my life. But she didn't come into it until I was 18 months sober. Because I had to have the right sponsor. And if you're out there running around for like I was for 18 months without a sponsor, you're sponsoring a fool. Because I was. And at 18 months in the program, I had taken a knife and I had gotten, I was, I was washing the butcher knife that I'd almost killed Carl with. And I was angry with him when we have these heavy debates in our home, and I got to tell you about one of these heavy debates, but he you know, I took this knife and I threw it at him. I wanted him to talk about the Clara that was and not the Clara that was back there, you know, and he he was still talking about the one that drank, and I'm eighteen months sober, and you know um I ran I knew I ran to the club. And there was these wonderful men, these wonderful AA men that were there. They put their arms around me, and they took me to a meeting. They didn't take me to bed. They took me to a meeting. And they said, you get back here in the morning, and you ask Mary Jane to be your sponsor. And I did. I did exactly that. And that lady said, you know what? I don't sponsor anyone except that's not willing to be active in their own recovery. And we started a journey that was—it has been absolutely the most wonderful journey in the world for the over the last 20 years. Absolutely wonderful. um, We've—she took me to uh, to a retreat, and on that retreat, I've never been inside of a church, and I'm six years sober. Never been inside of a chapel except just to just to uh, go to an AA meeting. Mary Jane asked me to go, and I was used to doing what she asked me to do. And she asked me to go to the chapel. And I went in, and I sat in the far corner of the room, and I sat in the very back row, and Mary Jane walked in and walked over and knelt down. And we have a saying in Indianapolis, sickies up front. She walked over, and she took my hand, and she said, sickies up front. And she took my hand and walked me down the center aisle and set me on that first pew. And from that day forward, I was okay with me, and I was okay with God. I was able to call my bishop. I was able to accept excommunication or disfellowship of the church. I was able to accept responsibility for my actions. I was able to stand tall and become the woman that I, that I feel that I am today. You know, and, you know, I I have these wonderful babies that, as I said, make me walk what I talk. I have the opportunity to to be of service, a maximum service to others today. I have the opportunity of, I've had the opportunity of being working in the area. I've had the opportunity of doing a lot of service work. But I'll tell you, the absolute most wonderful job in the world is the 12-step call. Grassroot level, great 12-step call. Got a, got a, um, I can read it. I'm a drunk driver. I don't give a damn if it's your family, who it was. The worst fights we had was for me to get behind the wheel of the car. He'd take my keys and then it was my car. He had no right to do that. You know, and I used to scream, it's nobody's business. And since 1997, you know, in 1995, a lot of things have happened and I haven't had to pick up a drink. 1995, they found out I had cancer and a, and a kidney and, and they had to take it, a kidney out. And I didn't have to drink. In 1997, Carl had five, uh, a five bypass and almost died. And I almost lost him and I didn't have to pick up a drink. Last June, Carl lost his eyesight. Just, he's hemorrhaging behind the, uh, retina. And the one eye is stamped out completely. The, the other one, he, he's almost totally blind. He lost the right to, to his job. He had to quit. He can't drive. They fitted him with little goggles. He looks like he's a spaceman from outer space. So he can hook up a, you know, a hook, fishing hook. And he has a buddy in AA, in AA, that loves him so much and takes him fishing. He said, Carl, they teach a blind mule to pull. We'll teach a blind Carl to fish. (laughs) Where could you find this? Where do you find this? I used to burn those magazines up. We had church magazines and they would come and I hated them because they stood for everything I wasn't. You know, and uh, the day came. I, you know, when I was sober and I was clean and I was, and I was a member in good standing in the in the church as well as in my in my home and in Alcoholics Anonymous. I opened up one of those little little brown paper bags, that was envelopes, and, and and I read that church magazine. And there was a poem in there, and a story about Alcoholics anonymous an article on Alcoholics Anonymous. On alcoholism and drugs. I have never seen one before, and I've never seen one since. And it was a, it was a, there was a poem called Nobody's Business. And just recently, this is so ironic for this drunk to be standing here, and just recently, my husband and I, we were asked to, to work in our church, in, you know, our little Mormon church. Now they don't drink, they're not supposed to drink, not, you know. But we were asked to work with, uh, you know, the inactive alcoholic and drug addicts that are in our, in our ward. And they asked, you know, to become, you know, little missionaries to go along and knock on the doors and try to carry the message to them. And I think that's wonderful because I don't keep it a secret that I'm an alcoholic, Anonymous. <laughs> if you, uh, can identify with this, um You walk out of here and you can't think of anything. You don't identify with me. Please listen to this and see if you want to pay the price. I don't want to pay that price. It's called nobody's business what I drink. It's nobody's business what I drink. I care not what, I care not what the neighbors think or how many laws they choose to pass. I'll tell the world I'll have my glass. Here's one man's freedom that can't be curbed. My right to drink is undisturbed. So he drank in spite of Laura Mann, then got into his old tin can. He stepped on the gas and let it go down the highway to and fro. He took the curves at fifty miles with blurry eyes and a drunken smile. Not long till a car he tried to pass, and there was a crash or scream screaming, breaking glass. The other car was upside down, about two miles from the nearest town. The man was clear, but his wife was caught, and she needed the help of that drunken sot, who sat in a muddling, drunken days and heard the screams and saw the blaze. But was too far gone to save the life by lifting the car up off the wife. The car was burned and a mother died while a husband wept and a baby cried and a drunk sits by and still some thinks it's nobody's business what we drink. I'm Claire and I'm an alcoholic. Thank you. you